Welcome to Day of Destiny with Dr. Michelle Corral, author, prophetic teacher, and pastor of Breath of the Spirit Prophetic Word Center. Dr. Corral can be seen weekly, nationwide, and around the world on her weekly telecasts that air on God TV, Impact, and Word Network. Now, let's join Dr. Corral by experiencing Day of Destiny, designed with your highest destiny in mind. Now, here is Dr. Corral. We need to understand that the scripture is going to use language that to us does not seem strange. But it, when we read it in the original, we are going to understand that it actually is a repetition. It is a repeat of something that occurred in the book of Exodus. All right. What Moses is doing, and of course, this is the book of Exodus, but from the slavery narrative, in the book of Exodus, the very words that are going to describe the feast of first fruits are used in descriptive manner to describe the Ovidim or the slavery that the children of Israel suffered in Egypt. So that we might understand that the, this feast is a feast that God redeems us from every type of slave labor. This is a feast where God promises to always cause our labor to produce profit no matter what we go through in our life. It is a celebration of the dignity of your career, the dignity of what God has given you to do, but it is also a feast that celebrates how God has had mercy on his people from the slavery that they endured in the land of Egypt. Let me explain this a little further. Let's go for a moment to Deuteronomy 26, and let's look at verses 5 through 6 in Deuteronomy, excuse me, 5 and 10, 5 through 10 in Deuteronomy 26, all right? Deuteronomy 26 is going to elaborate on the first fruits. And the law is that when the first fruits are brought, there is a certain confession. And the confession of first fruits when it is brought unto the Lord is actually there must be, when first fruits are brought to God, there must be a declaration of liberation from slavery. Say this with me when I bring my first fruits to God. There must be an audible confession, a declaration of liberation from slavery in Egypt. Can I get a witness somewhere? I'm going somewhere with this. God instituted the Feast of First Fruits so that when the children of Israel would bring their first fruits, when they offered it to God in the land that the Lord their God would give them, they would have to make a declaration. And let me read to you the declaration because the declaration is actually cognizant with the redemptive act that God performed that they might come out of Egypt and have their slavery redeemed. Let's look, if you will, at verses 6 and 7 of Deuteronomy 26. Actually, Deuteronomy 26 verse 1 says, when you are coming to the land, that the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance to possess it and dwell therein. Verse 2, you shall take of the first of the fruit of all the earth that the Lord your God shall give you, and you shall put it in a basket 
and go to the place which the Lord your God has given you to put his name there. All right, so God is giving a commandment to Israel that when you get to the promised land, this is going to be practiced continually. You are going to take of the first fruits of all the earth, you're going to put it in a basket, and you're going to go to the place that the Lord your God has chosen to put his name there, and you're going to offer it to God. But the question is why? Why is God asking his children to bring the first of the fruits of all the earth to him. And why is he making this commandment? We are going to see in Deuteronomy 26, verses 6 and 7, that there is to be a declaration of liberation. That declaration begins in verse 5, but I'm going to skip to verse 6. Verse 6 says, and the, the verse 6 says, and now the Bible says, and the Egyptians evil entreated us. This is what they're to say over their offering. The Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And we cried to the Lord our God, God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and looked upon our affliction, our labor, and our oppression. So where to see that the institution of the gift of first fruits is related to the slavery directly that the children of Israel went through. And that when they brought the first fruits to God, there, there had to be a declaration of liberation. And the declaration had to be detailed. They had to say, Lord God, I am bringing you these first fruits and I am declaring how the evil, the Egyptians, evil entreated us how they afflicted us, and how um, we labored and they brought us into hard bondage. And Lord, how we cried out to you and you heard our affliction and you delivered us. All right, so that is the basic elementary meaning of first fruits. So the only way to understand this is to go back into the text and understand what type of slavery. What is God delivering us from? Not just his people who went through slavery thousands of years ago, but also every person at the time of first fruits, because in the biblical feasts, what God did then, God will do again. So we need to understand that today, present in the house, is a redemption very similar to what the children of Israel went through. And this means any type of labor, whether it is physical labor, spiritual labor, emotional labor, tears or trials, this is the time God is going to redeem you from your travail. Can I get a witness? somewhere somebody ought to say in the name of Jesus God's gonna deliver me from my hard labor and sorrow all right so we need to understand the Bible tells us in Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6 they that sow in tears are gonna reap in joy he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing 
precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves, his harvest, his abundance with him. Say this with me in the name of Jesus. My tears have been spiritual seed for this season. Can I get a witness somewhere? Somebody ought to say God is getting ready to deliver me from years of tears. Can I get a witness somewhere? Somebody ought to praise the Lord. All right. So it is so important. Hallelujah. It is so important that we look now so we can understand what we're receiving. How many want to have some knowledge as to what you're receiving? The Bible says my people perish for the lack of knowledge. So we can understand here today that if we don't have a clue of what that slavery was about, how can we possibly receive deliverance? All right, and if we don't have a clue with what the Bible said about it, except a generic um, Sunday school version of the slavery narrative, we are never going to receive the fullness of what God wants for us. My people perish for a lack of knowledge, saith the Lord. All right, so let us look here. First of all, the Obedim or the slavery in Egypt is divided into two components. All right, the book of Exodus in chapter 1 tells us that, that the slavery itself was an attempt of programmatic genocide. This is not just um, Carlton, uh, what is his name, Charlton Heston's version, uh, Cecil B. DeMille's version, the Ten Commandments give us a, a Sunday school version of what actually happened. Okay, we have a vivid um, type of, of, this, of a video in our mind of what actually happened, but the details are not there at all. It's just like looking at a storybook and looking at a picture. We really don't know except the, what the Bible teaches us of what actually happened, and because it's in the narrative, God wants us to know it. If it was not in the narrative, God would not want us to know it. If it was not in the word, it would not profit us anything. But because it is in the word, it is personal, powerful, prophetic, relevant, and it will bring deliverance during Shavuot. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. So the first aspect of this slavery is what we would call the attempt of programmatic genocide. Let's look and see Pharaoh's plan of programmatic genocide, which is clearly brought out to us in Exodus chapter 1, looking at verse 10. The Bible says, beginning in verse 9, And he said to his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Um, what we need to see is when he said they're more and mightier than we, he's not only talking about a supernatural population explosion that happened with the Jewish people in Egypt, but he's talking about mightier. In other words, this is a word that is used when someone is very mighty, not just in the sense of their national statistics of growth, but mighty in spirit, 
mighty in mind, mighty in dynamic, mighty in purpose, mighty in destiny. I can't get any help in here. And I want you to know, because you have a call of God on your life, and you are mighty in God because of Christ. You have been given an inheritance in Christ Jesus. You have been given a destiny and a future. You have a bright future ahead for you. So you must understand that this very assignment that came against the children of Israel, the enemy wants to use against your destiny. The Bible says in verse 10, if we look at it, Pharaoh called together the Egyptians for a plan. Why? One of the reasons was, like any um, dictator, like any person who rules their country with tyranny, he wanted his subjects to agree with him, and he did it through control. The same way today, many world leaders dictate when there is a, um, a dictatorship over a country and causes the individuals of leadership to agree with that, that policy that they're going to inculcate upon the people. Um, the, the, the use of coercion is going to be um, used here. And here we are going to see, he said, come on, let us deal wisely with them. In other words, deal wisely means let's make a plan, all of us together. Okay, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, continue growing, and it come to pass when there falleth out any war, that they join also to our enemies and fight against us and get them up out of the land. The purpose of the programmatic genocide and the purpose of the pre-programming of slavery, which is going to involve socio-psychological programming of the people. He is going to socially subjugate the people, and he is going to inculcate into his society a socio-psychological discrimination against the people so that the slavery that they are in is going to be something that they themselves feel that they can never get out of. Because the objective is, lest they get up out of the land, lest they fight against us and get them up out of the land. So the programmatic genocide was, was designed so that they would never fight. All right, so there had to be some type of socio-psychological type of brainwashing, if you will, socially within the culture to take away the fight from the people, to make them believe that they could never get out of it. I don't know if anybody here is listening to what I'm saying, but somebody ought to say today, the devil is not going to keep me stuck in this place where I've been for all these years. I'm coming up out of this in the time of Shavuot. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right, so uh, looking at this programmatic genocide, when we look at Exodus chapter 1, verses 10 through 14, Pharaoh engineered a long-term pattern of socio-psychological discrimination against God's people, and he also enforced his socio-psychological plans by using forced labor. Okay, so this is why the Feast of First Fruits is going to totally counteract 
the forced labor actions that came against them while they were in Egypt, okay? He also used various forms of coercion through psychological and emotional harm that was inflicted upon them while they were in the workforce. I can't get any help here. See, this is what the devil wants to do. While you are, when you have been in a place, he wants to somehow begin to harm us psychologically, emotionally, or physically in some way to tell us that we're never going to get out of this place. That somehow through coercion, He's going to try to keep us stuck in the place where we are. All right. So the, the forced labor and various forms of coercion that were used through physical and emotional harm upon the people. And he did this very calculating. He used taskmasters to enforce his plan. So that meant the taskmasters not only used whips to enforce the labor and harmed them when they were totally fatigued and when they were totally weary and used the psychological warfare uh, strategies. They used um, these socio-psychological words that were not only throughout society because he, he had a very stratified system. He subjugated them with the Egyptians, first with the taskmasters, there is an echelons here if you look at it right in a caste system. There is the taskmasters who are the highest, then there are the Egyptians that are like the middle, and then there are the slaves. So what he did was through the upper areas of the caste system, he inculcated in the entire culture a discrimination against the people of God so that everyone would belittle them with words and with actions so that they were belittled and brought down and dehumanized and demoralized. And the whole entire objective was to demoralize them so they could never think that they could get out of it. I'm here to tell you, you can get out of it. You can go up to the next level. You can go up higher. It is God's will for you to get ahead. It is God's will for you to get an education. It is God's will for you to lift up society and to contribute something to your generation that is going to last forever. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right, so here we see this enforced socio-psychological plans by using forced labor and coercion in emotional and physical harm that was commanded upon the people through the taskmasters. The long-term objective of Pharaoh was programmatic genocide. That's what he worked at. He knew he could not just announce to the people, let's just murder all the Jewish people. So he did it through a slow program. He did it gradually through the society so that we begin in Exodus 1 with the beginning of the slavery narrative. But then at the end of Exodus 1, the last verse, let's read it because this was the objective of the programmatic slavery and the programmatic genocide. It was literally to wipe God's people off the planet. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness? All right, so we need to know we're in a battle here against the enemy. The Bible says, and Pharaoh charged all his people. First, he charged the Hebrew women. They were so bold, they didn't do it. 
They didn't obey Pharaoh. Touch your neighbor and say, child, get yourself some strength and stand up against the culture. Hello, somebody. Can I get a witness somewhere? Somebody's got to stand up for righteousness in this generation. Okay. But here we see the Hebrew midwives who were also slaves. They, didn't, they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. Okay, so they refused to murder the children. All right, but here we see, because that didn't work, now Pharaoh makes another law. And verse 22 says, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born you will cast into the river, and every daughter you will save alive. So we, we need to look at this narrative in the sense of the structure, in the way that Exodus 1 is actually written. It begins with this programmatic genocide that begins with the subjugation of the people on a socio-psychological level, and he inculcates his plan through a coercion, through a discrimination in all levels of society, through demoralizing the people, and through um, placing upon them the heavy burdens of work so while they are in the workforce, they are being abused physically, they are being abused emotionally, and they are being abused spiritually so that they can never get enough strength to say, I'm better than this, so that they can never get enough strength to say, this is not who I am, so they can never get enough strength to say, I'm going to come up and I'm going to fight Pharaoh. They just lost all their hope. They lost all of their strength, but they finally called out to God with just their breath, and God understood their cries, and God says, I'm not only going to redeem you from Egypt physically, but I'm I'm going to redeem your labor. Can I get a witness somewhere? All right. So we see in Exodus 1, the narrative tells us the slavery, the slavery programmatic aspect of it. But now in Exodus 5, Exodus 5 gives us the details of what actually occurred in the fields. Okay, and this is why we must understand the Feast of First Fruits is about deliverance from their service in the field. The Bible says you're going to bring the first fruits of your labors in the field. Because the field to the children of Israel was a place of trauma. The field to the children of Israel when they were enslaved was a place of being dehumanized. It was a place of memories that, that they could not get delivered of until God in his tenderness through the wilderness wanderings continued to heal them through his word. We have to understand the feast of first fruits is God saying, you will never again have your labors wasted. You will never again go back to that slavery. And when you give me the first fruits, I am going to lift your labor to another level. I hope somebody understands what I'm talking about. So here we see in Exodus chapter 5, the context conveys the forms of coercion through physical harm, emotional and verbal abuse by the taskmasters, and excessive forms of fatigue that were 
um, labored and that were placed upon the people by the taskmasters. Exodus chapter 6, looking at verse 6 says, And Pharaoh commanded the same day that the taskmasters of the people uh, um, and their officers, saying, You shall no more give the people straw to make brick. Hitherto you shall let them go and gather straws for themselves, and the tail of bricks you will lay upon them. You're going to lay the same burden that they always made when they had the, the straw free, when they didn't have to go out and find the straw. But now, every time they tried to get up out of the land or spoke of getting up out of the land, there was a retaliation from Pharaoh. You see, sometimes those of us that have been in bondage for years, those of us who are trying to get ahead and know that there's a better plan that God has for us, breaking out of that bondage, this is why we need the Holy Ghost, because he's the only one who can break us out of that bondage. This is why we need the anointing, because the anointing is the only thing that can break the yoke over our life and get us up out of that place that we were stuck in for all these years. I can get a witness in this house. So we need to understand that Pharaoh, uh, he, he put upon the people a burden when Moses initially began to liberate the people. It was a form of retaliation that was unbearable, absolutely unbearable for the children of Israel. It was the worst suffering they ever had in all the 400 years of slavery. I want you to know, if your pain is at the point you cannot bear it anymore, your redemption is right around the corner because your pain is a sign that you're ready to give birth and that you're ready to break out of this place. You are ready to break out of these years of tears. God is about to set you free. Can I get a witness somewhere? Somebody ought to stand up and give God the glory. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, Secrets of the Anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. That's HESED, C-H-E-S-E-D to 7797. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.